Today we go from chapter 17 to chapter 18. And before I read the text in Matthew, um, let me just point out that there are a couple of places in the New Testament where the author basically says this, stop being babies and grow up. All right, let me show you a couple of places. First of all, uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. And he goes on to say, hey, Corinthians, quit acting like babies with your spiritual gifts and showing off and comparing uh, yourself with one another. Stop being babies, grow up, is what he's doing here. Then the author to the Hebrews says this, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, baby food, not solid food. And what this is saying is, by now, you should all be teachers. You mean like preachers? No, teachers. You should know the word of God well enough to be able to explain the gospel and the things of God to others. But I see you're not there. You're little babies. You're still on milk. You need to grow up and eat some solid food. So he's chiding them for not growing up. He's chiding them for being babies, not adults. Now, in today's scripture, Jesus says just the opposite. These authors are saying, stop being babies, grow up. Jesus says, stop being grown-ups. If you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you need to become babies. Here's what he says. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And that's a, uh, a discussion that the disciples had a lot. I'm better than you. I'm more important than you. I get to sit on Jesus' right hand. You get to sit at the back of the line and they're... they're uh, discussing and even asking Jesus, which, of, which one of us is the most important? Right? Who gets to be the vice president? And calling to him a child, and there's the word child there, uh, it, it, uh, there's the word for babies, but this is the word that is used of Jesus when he's about two years old. Herod sends the... Um, Uh, the soldiers, to kill all the children in Bethlehem, two years old and younger. So we think Jesus was about two. It's a toddler. And calling to him a child, a little toddler, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn, some translations say, unless you are converted and become like children, like babies, like toddlers, You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, when scripture says you need to become like a child, let me tell you two things it doesn't mean because this could be misunderstood. Whenever scripture gives an analogy, you have to ask, what's the main point of the analogy? You don't want to, uh, to, to take every point of it and apply an analogy. That's like when Jesus says he's going to return like a thief in the night, and you think, oh, he's going to come back and steal our stuff. No, that's not the point of the analogy. He's going to come quickly, suddenly, is what that means. So what does it mean that we are to become like children? Well, what doesn't it mean? First thing it doesn't mean is that you need to become innocent like a child. Um, Why is that true? First of all, as Paul said today, children aren't innocent. 
They come fully equipped with a sin nature. Right? So that can't be the point of the analogy. In fact, if that's what Jesus was saying, what would he be saying? For you to enter the kingdom of heaven, you need to become perfectly innocent. You're saved by your innocence. Well, wait a minute. If we're saved by our innocence, why do we need a savior? We are not saved by our innocence. We, as sinners, come to Jesus. There's got to be something else that this is referring to. So it's not talking about become innocent. So, second thing that this isn't referring to is childlike faith. You know, we use that term all the time. We need to have childlike faith. I googled it. Childlike faith. It returned 1,660,000 returns. Do you know that the term childlike faith is never used in the Bible? There's no reference to childlike faith. But people use it all the time, and a lot of times what they mean by it is, oh, I don't want to have to study. You guys talk about Calvinism and Arminianism and premillennialism and dispensationalism and all these isms and schisms. I just want a simple, childlike faith. Well, there's no reference to a childlike faith. In fact, we are told this, brothers, do not be children. In your thinking. In your thinking, be mature. So don't use this as an excuse to say, I'm going to just stay at a simple level. We are to grow in our understanding of the word of God. We are to think. We are not to stay as babies. Okay. So what does it mean that we're to become like children? Well, fortunately, Jesus actually explains it. He says, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What's that mean? Whoever humbles himself like this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Becoming a child and being humble is the issue here. Um, You know, most of the time when I go out into the hall after the service, there's some little child standing by the drinking fountain out there, right? Because they love playing in it. And um, I'll go out there, Kylie will be out there, or Layla will be out there. And um, you say, hey, do you want to drink a water? Yep. And they put their hands up in there because they can't. So you pick them up and hold them upside down and give them a drink of water, right? But they just go, yep, I, I can't do it. I need you. I'm, I'm used to my parents doing everything for me. They dress me, they change me, they feed me, they do everything. Here, take care of me, right? Jesus is saying, that's what you need to become like before you can enter the kingdom of heaven. You need to become humble and dependent or you will go to hell. Right? Proud, self-sufficient people are a million miles away from the kingdom of heaven. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to give you, we'll cancel this instead of three. I'll give you two people, two proud types of people who are far away from the kingdom of heaven. First of all, the self-impressed people. People who are impressed with themselves. Uh, self-important people. They're, they're so into being important that they can't humble themselves to enter the kingdom 
of heaven. Let me tell you about a guy um, when I was up in Wisconsin pastoring in a little church up there. Um, one day a couple came to visit and uh, they became uh, members of the church. I'll call him Big Mike. Uh, he was a big guy, probably weighed in at 350 pounds. And, um, and you think that, Bill, he must have been fat. Well, he, was, he, had some, he had some baby weight on him, but he was a big guy, too. In fact, remember Ralph Cramden, the honeymooners, you know, Jackie Gleason? That was kind of Mike. And um, kind of a tough-minded, self-sufficient guy. He uh, was a foreman in a paper mill. I still remember him. He had his Green Bay Packer green jacket with his union patch on the sleeve and uh, he told you he told you like it was and um, simple self-sufficient in charge spoke his mind he could also belt out a song like nobody's business Uh, in fact he'd never been trained but he was almost operatic and um, he was in a number of choirs, traveling choirs, and um, he would do solos uh, at church. And, you know, there are times when somebody will do a solo, and there's the obligatory, that was nice. But when he would, people would cry and, oh, praise God, and, you know, and he would just he'd be up there sweating and singing. And, um, so one day, Big Mike calls me on the phone. He goes, Pastor, I need to talk to you. I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> he's got some complaint, all right, uh, come on in, so he comes in, and in my office up there, I had a love seat, and um, he sat, he took up the whole thing, and um, I go, so what can I do for you, Mike, and he says, uh, well, I've been playing church all my life, I've never really surrendered my life to Christ, never really saw the need, but... You know, the way you preach with all this sin and stuff. and I'm a sinner, and I, I, I need to surrender my life to Christ, and we're going to do this right now. Let's pray. And he, even in his surrendering, he took charge, right? You know? And he bowed his head, and he prayed. And I, you'd think I'm a spiritual guy. What I'm thinking is, if I have to baptize him, I'll never get him out of the tub. <laughs> But what I've, what I've learned is um, when you baptize the water, they float. So it's, we look strong. It's, we're relying on the water to get him out of the water. So um, he surrenders his heart to Christ, and all of a sudden, this guy's life starts to change. His wife even says he's different. He still had a certain gruffness to his personality, but he, he became this big, soft-hearted teddy bear. And uh, there's one incident, I'll share it with you, that, that really made an impact. Um, now, on Sunday, he would sing hymns and, and so forth. But we had a talent show one night. And uh, he was going to do Sinatra. And he sang, I Did It My Way. And he belted that song out. And um, he confided in me. He said, you know, I used to love that song. He said, now, my, my wife never liked it. She was a believer, but he wasn't, uh, you know, when he used to sing this song. He goes, for some reason now, I just, I just don't, uh, I don't like that song anymore. 
Well, have you ever looked at it? For what is a man, what has he got? If not himself, then he has not. He has nothing. To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. Okay, I say what I want to say. I'm not going to bow my knee to anybody, including God. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. Mike used to love that song, because that was his creed. That was the way he lived. He didn't take any guff from anybody. He realized he was a sinner in need of a savior, and he goes, you know what? This is arrogant. This isn't true. Interesting, I did a little research on this song. Um, There was a period in time where this was the number one song requested at funeral homes. And people thought that this was paying tribute to the dead person. But really, do you want to send them off to go meet their makers saying, I don't kneel? I don't bow my heart before anyone? Fun fact for you, even Sinatra didn't like this song. It was his moneymaker, but he didn't really like it. He thought it was arrogant. Arrogant for Frank Sinatra, right? Okay. The fact is, Mike's new song became Amazing Grace. From I did it my way to I once was lost, but now I'm found, or was blind, but now I see. See, God created us for his glory. He gave us amazing talents, amazing abilities, and we give him glory, yes, when we do amazing things, or even ordinary things, but we do it realizing it's all from him. When we think we're really in charge, sometimes he needs to humble us to show us we really aren't in charge. Warning, God loves you enough to show you that you're not that hot. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. Babylon was the world empire. They ran the world. And one day, King Nebuchadnezzar is on top of his roof looking over his world empire, and he is talking to himself. It says he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesties? Basically, I did it all. I did it my way. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time, seven years, shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. In other words, <laughs> I hate to say it, but God is saying, you didn't build that. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about here. Immediately, the word was filled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. There's actually a a mental illness where people think they're animals and they don't wear clothes and they go out and they eat, they live in the forest and they eat 
grass. For seven years, he became insane. And in essence, what God is saying is, all I have to do is move my hand of sustaining grace a fraction of an inch to one direction, and your true nature will show itself. Don't become proud and arrogant thinking you're so hot. You couldn't take the next breath if God didn't give it to you. You know, one thing that, um, that deceives us into thinking we're pretty important Money. Those who have done well can be deceived into thinking they're pretty hot. That's why God says in Deuteronomy, Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth. I don't care if you're a multimillionaire or live in a shack. I don't care if you have talent or just very ordinary. I don't care if you're gorgeous or not gorgeous. Anything you have has been given to you by God. And if your attitude is not one of It is he who has given these gifts to me. You're a million miles from the kingdom of heaven. You're arrogant. And you need to be humbled like a child who just says, help. Help. All right, so the first thing, the first type of person, proud person, that's a million miles from the kingdom of heaven is the self-reliant, self-sufficient person who's deceived him or herself into thinking they're all that. They're they're, They're pretty important. Second thing, and I'm going to just combine the last two, the self-righteous person is a million miles from the kingdom of God. I'm going to take you to the story of the uh, Pharisee and the tax collector. Jesus says in Luke 18, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Okay? One a religious guy and the other a tax... Uh, a, uh, uh, oh, we still don't like tax collectors. So um, a despised sinner. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Notice the one guy says, I'm going to offer before God my goodness. And the tax collector says, I'm going to offer to God absolutely nothing, but admit that I'm a sinner. Help, be merciful to me. The other guy says, "Ah, don't need your help. Here, here's all my, my good stuff that I have to offer you. And Jesus goes on to say, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified, right in God's sight, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. There's that word again. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. 
You know, this, this uh, story shows the inner dialogue of what I would call the decent, hell-bound person. The decent person who works hard, pays his taxes, never cheated on his wife, is a good father, is a coach, does all the good things you do in suburbia, but is on his way to hell. You know, the question I like to ask people, if you were to die today and stand before God, and he said, why should I let you into heaven? Most people I ask that question to, they go, hmm, well, God would let me into heaven because I'm not that bad a person. And then I always like to say, okay, so, so you're pretty good. You're not that bad a person compared to whom? Well, compared to others. Isn't that what he's doing? God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Compared to others, I'm pretty good. Dirty little secret. You can always make yourself feel pretty good about yourself because you can always find somebody worse than you. Do you know that even in prison, they have pecking orders? Prison guards will tell you that you've got your general population, thieves, murderers. Then you've got lower on the rank, the sexual predators. And then the bottom of the barrel, the child sexual predators. And those in the general population are disgusted enough to kill the others. They're disgusted with their unrighteousness. So wherever you want to draw the line of you being better, you can always find somebody worse than you, and they can always find somebody worse than them, all the way down the line. So if you ask most people, why are you going to heaven? They'll say, because I'm pretty good. And you say, compared to to who? Well, everybody below me. (laughs) But the problem is, that thinking assumes that God's going to grade us on a curve. Compared to one another. Now, um, as, as a teacher, you know, students love it when they get graded on a curve. I remember I, I, my undergrad was out at Northern Illinois University. It was a business student. And I remember taking the business law class. And I took the, cla- uh, the, the test one day, and I just, I, I bombed. Walked out of that class knowing I failed the class, failed the test. So when we went back the next class period, um, the teacher had the stack of tests, and he passed them out, and I got a 53 out of 100. Like, I failed. He said, now, it was a hard test, so we're going to grade it not on a straight scale, but on a curve. He said, so let me write all the numbers down on the board, and the top 10% will be A's. He said, the highest grade was a 53. I went from utter failure to class valedictorian (laughs) because we're going to grade on a curve, right? Now, bad news. On Judgment Day, God's not grading you on a curve. So quit looking at the prison population and quit looking at your neighbor. Here's the, he's going to grade you on a straight scale. And here's the, here's the standard. Okay, you know, in, in school, 90 and above is an A, 80 and above is a B. 
All right. On Judgment Day, it's 100%. It's, it's actually on a straight scale pass-fail. 100% perfect obedience to God's law, 100% of the time in motive, in attitude, and in action. You have to do that your entire life without one flaw. That's the standard, because God is perfect. Would you want a God who said, hey, I'll let failures who don't live up to my standard, I'll accept them? What kind of a God would that be? So, the bad news is, on Judgment Day, if you are not in Christ, you will stand before God, and he will grade you, and it's pass-fail, straight-scale, 100% perfection required, or you will go to hell. So how are you doing on that that grading scale? Yeah. You see, the, the fact of the matter is, when we compare ourselves not to one another, but to God himself, we fail. The... Pharisee was comparing himself to others. The tax collector said, forget others, I'm a sinner. You know, Isaiah was a prophet, and he lived in Israel. Now, if Israel were to compare themselves to the other nations, they would be pretty squeaky clean. I mean, they didn't sacrifice children to Moloch and and burn them on an altar. So, on a, on a relative scale, Israel was pretty clean. And then amongst the people of Israel, the prophets spoke the very words of God. So they thought they were, were pretty righteous. So most of his life, Isaiah is comparing himself to other nations and to the people of Israel. And he's feeling pretty good about himself until he goes into the temple and he sees the Lord. And his scale gets shifted from a... Uh, you know, a curve to a straight scale, and he sees the Lord. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. You know, your importance was measured by how long the train of your gown was, so God's train fills the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, the angels, each had six wings, With two, he covered his face because he can't look on the holiness of God. With two, he covered his feet because even though he's not a sinner, he's still a creature and he's covering his creatureliness. With two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I, Isaiah, said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. I have a dirty mouth. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. But Isaiah, you're you're more holy in what you say than most people. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts doesn't matter compared to others. It's when you see God. Even the prophet who speaks the word of God says, I have a potty mouth. 
Even my words trying to describe God fall short compared to who he truly is. It's humbling to compare yourself to God, not to one another. But you will never enter the kingdom of heaven if you keep looking around comparing yourself to one another and feeling pretty good about yourself. You need to become like a little child who says, I have no righteousness to offer God. Help, have mercy on me. All right, I'll close with this. When, uh, you know, uh, Jason and Lindsay were here a couple weeks ago, they're down in the, uh, they're missionaries down in the Dominican Republic. And by the way, they'll be back with us next week. Um, but some of you know about my trip. Caleb and I went down to visit with them. And they took us uh, to see this beautiful waterfall that's, that was in a, in a canyon 700 feet down at the bottom of this canyon. And there's this beautiful waterfall. And Caleb and I were um, exploring the rocks, big, huge rocks. And um, from about here to see that blue square over there, um, I was going to jump. I was going to get a running jump and jump from here to that rock over there. And I made it. But when I landed, I heard something, or I felt something crack. And instead of being able to jump up, I fell down in between this crevice. So I'm at the bottom of two rocks, 700 feet down in the bottom of a canyon. And in the Dominican, like you cannot find a private place in that whole island. There's people everywhere, except for the bottom of this place. It's just me, Caleb, and the Yorks. And I go, uh, Caleb? And I swear, this is what I thought. I was laying on my back. I knew something broke. And I'm thinking to myself, Lord, how are you going to use this in a sermon someday? <laughs> you know? So um, I go, Caleb, go get Jason. He goes, why? I go, I'm hurt. I don't know where. Something cracked. I can't move. So Jason comes over and just looks at me, you know. And he's kind of in the medical field, so he goes... I bet it's your Achilles, and your, my Achilles snapped in two. So your foot just hangs, right? Your calf muscle is what allows you to jump and land. Well, that's what happened. I snapped the Achilles, and I had no calf muscle to, to catapult me up, so I fell down. So then he's like, well, can you stand? Well, I could, but only on one foot. And we're on this, picture this whole room full of rocks before we even get to the trail that we have to go up. And um, I couldn't walk on the rocks. He goes, all right, we're still kind of on this rock. He goes, why don't you scooch off the rock and lay on my back and I'll carry you. I go, no, no. No, you're not going to carry me. It was all right. See ya. <laughs> I don't know if he said that, but um, I had a choice. Either I humble myself and put my entire weight upon someone else to carry me, or I die. 
I'd still be there. I, mean, I wouldn't, I'd be rotted away by now, but either you place your full weight, your full trust upon Christ who carried the cross for you, who was nailed to a cross to fully pay for your debt, or you die and go to hell. Some people can't do that. Some people would rather play the comparison game. Some people will say, I'm a self-made man. I did it my way. But only those who humble themselves and become like little children and say, help, save me, will be saved. And some of you are there. Some of you, have, it's taken your entire life to realize you're not all that. You're not there. And you're, you're ready to say, help. Let's pray.